On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, the Model S's official 0-60 to 60 time has somehow been lowered again. Elon Musk gives a couple more minor updates on the Cybertruck. Tesla autopilot lead Andre Karpathy gives a fascinating talk on the state of full self-driving and more. What's happening, friends? Ryan McCaffrey with you for episode 247 of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast. This one for April 26th, 2020. The great Daisy the Boxer puppy alongside me as always. And uh, it is yet another busy week of Tesla news. Next week promises to be busy as well. We've got the earnings call for Q1 to look forward to. That one's going to be interesting because we, of course, had the very tail end of that quarter affected by the quarantine-related shutdown of the Tesla factory. So stay tuned for next week's episode of this podcast for my recap and analysis, which will include a lot of great audio clips from Elon Musk and the Tesla executive team. Also, some big news popping in at the end of the week. The new software version rolling out, 2020.12.6, heading out wide now, and this includes stop sign and stop light recognition. So if you've got hardware three, that's the full self-driving computer, and you've purchased the, the full self-driving software package, this is coming your way anytime now. In fact, perhaps you've already received it by the time you are hearing this podcast. Uh, I have not just yet because as I'm recording, it has just started going out within hours. So haven't seen any uh, notification pop up on my phone just yet, but I am looking forward to giving it a, a test drive. Quite literally, I'll share my impressions certainly next week, assuming that I hopefully, fingers crossed, do get the update sometime between now and then. All right, let me get started with the first story of the week, and that is our headliner. The Model S's performance on the heels of the Cheetah Stance launch mode that I had previously told you about a week or two back. The newer Raven Model S's and Model X's, but we're talking S here specifically since it's the quicker of the two. The Model S performance, the Raven, is now claiming a 0 to 60 mile an hour time with rollout, just one with that one foot rollout is the caveat. 2.3 seconds, which is just unbelievable. Uh, that is... <laughs> That is so quick. I I mean, my car, that's a full second quicker, well, just about with the rollout. It's just about a full second quicker than the Performance Model 3. But my goodness, that is fast. So again, this, is, this isn't just for brand new builds coming out of the Tesla factory. All of the Raven Performance S's and X's are getting this. So that's basically every Performance S or X made in the last... 12 months since uh, the Raven started coming out of the factory last April. Here is the notification that Tesla sent out to owners of those cars. It says, update available. Your Model S just got quicker. You asked for it. With our latest over-the-air software update to Model S performance, we improved 0-60 to acceleration 
to 2.3 seconds and quarter mile time to 10.4 seconds. Go for more back-to-back runs with improved thermal endurance and activate launch mode with the press, pardon me, with a press of the pedals. Launch mode's new cheetah stance lowers the front axle and adjusts damping before entry for better traction and faster acceleration off the line. So th- this is obviously cool. Uh, just uh, as I like to do on this podcast, because I have been following Tesla for so long, I've been watching this company like a hawk for years now. Just to put this in a little bit of historical perspective for you, in case maybe you're newer to Tesla, you know that it's that ten thousand foot view in the sky that I like to I like to do from time to time. The Model S now is almost eight years old. It officially turns eight in June. The original performance Model S, the P eighty five, did zero to sixty in four point four seconds. In 2012, it was fairly quickly tweaked uh, to 4.2 seconds, but out of the gate, it was 4.4 seconds when the Model S first debuted. That was the fastest, or I should say, the quickest uh, Model S that you could get back then. So now the same car, same car, of course, <laughs> not under the hood, almost everything under the hood, so to speak, is brand new, but the same car has almost cut that in half in eight years. That, it, that to me, that's the unbelievable part. That is just wild that in, in I mean, it, you know, eight years is not a, a short amount of time, but inside a decade, you've almost cut your, your zero to 60 time in half on your top end vehicle. And on top of that, the, you know, the, the pricing of the Model S has varied over the years. It, it, it is, the original S, the, that P85 I was talking about, it maxed out at about, in the, in the low 100,000s, it was under 110. I think the top you could pay was like 104, 105, right around there. If you just got every option, which back then was the tech package and the panoramic uh, glass, the panoramic moonroof, etc., that was where the car maxed out. And then over time... You, there was at one point a, about 150, 100, 100, should I say 140 thousand dollar Model S in the I guess the P100D era. It got to that point, but now of course over the last I guess really it was since the Ravens were introduced. Now the the top end Model S performance that does this zero to sixty in two point three seconds is about. A, you know, 105 around, around the same price. I'd have to go look for sure. I don't have it in my notes. I'm just thinking about this off the top of my head as I'm as I'm saying the words out loud. But it's funny that uh, for the, about the same money too. It's the the money has it went up for a while, but it's come back down. So for the same price as what you paid back in 2012, your zero to sixty time 2.3 seconds compared to 4.4 eight years ago. Unbelievable. Love it. Next this week, a couple more Cybertruck tidbits from Elon Musk over the course of the past week. Uh, Taking to Twitter, Elon answering some questions. One question was, will Cybertruck get a heat pump like the Model Y? To which Elon replied, yeah, and a whole lot more, exclamation mark. He says, arg, I'm dying to make the Cybertruck like yesterday with, again, 
another exclamation mark. So you can just see how excited he is about this thing. Next question. Have you thought about Cybertruck's waiting depth? That's W-A-D-I-N-G. I hunt and fish and sometimes need to cross streams. Can I do it without damaging the truck? And Elon's saying, yes, it will even float for a while. So chew on that for a second. Next question. Is the 3% change in the Cybertruck size affecting the interior dimensions? You'll recall this is uh, what we talked about last week. The truck's going to be about 3% smaller overall. So Elon replying here saying, maybe 1.5% change to the interior dimensions, still very roomy. So uh, all in all, some very interesting information here. Uh, a mere 1.5% reduction on the Cybertruck interior dimensions, that probably means, I, I would have to guess, it won't even be noticeable. If you didn't know about the change, and then you sat in the prototype Cybertruck, and then the final production Cybertruck, which obviously doesn't exist yet, but if you could, if you did do a side-by-side -side in a, you know, what, two years from now, I'll bet you wouldn't even notice the difference, because 1.5% on the interior is not a whole lot. Also glad to hear that the heat pump is going to go into the Cybertruck. Now, I would think it's probably going to go into all of the new Tesla vehicles, the new models from here on out, but especially the Cybertruck, since Elon has continually played up how tough the truck is, and that toughness is going to have to include being able to stand up to very cold climates. Now, as for the and a whole lot more part uh, that he was talking about there, I suspect he's referring to the engineering advancements uh, with, with the heat pump and, and the whole lot more. So like the heat pump, like the octo valve, and like the two-piece rear casting for the Model Y. So there should be some really interesting new things under the hood that we probably won't really learn about until Sandy Monroe tears a Cybertruck apart, which, by the way, I think we can pretty much count on that happening. Sandy has been a very vocal proponent of the Cybertruck, so I think he's going to be eager to get his hands on one. He, he probably will want to get one to own first and then a second one to tear into. Now, finally, there's the floating bit there. The for a while part uh, of his quote, pretty open to interpretation, I think you would agree. Are we talking five seconds, five minutes that it will float? Either way, uh, it's probably best to not put that to the test unless you're in some kind of situation where you really can't avoid it. I mean, that's my take on it anyway. I'm sure there will be eager and willing volunteers who will subject it to <laughs> deeper and deeper waters until we learn what it can and can't do for sure. There was actually one other quick little tidbit before I recorded this week. Will Cybertruck be produced at Giga Texas? Because the subject of Gigafactory Texas came back up and Elon saying, hey, not saying the new Gigafactory will be in Texas, but... Cybertruck will be produced there wherever it is as Fremont is at max capacity. So the thought I had here was, well, they would, they'd better break ground pretty soon, get a site chosen, get the deal done, and get started because 
The Cybertruck is due to go into production in the fall of 2021. That's the fall of next year. In other words, really 18 months from now is about all Tesla has uh, until they would be delaying the, the Cybertruck, which I'm sure they're, they're going to want to try to avoid, not only because you never want to delay a vehicle. Tesla's learned that very much the hard way. The Model Y came out early, so that sets a nice, hopefully, new precedent that the, the that Tesla can stick to. I'm not saying the Cybertruck will be early, but hopefully it will at least be on time, particularly with how many reservations the Cybertruck has. Tesla's going to want to get that thing going as quickly as they possibly can. But, uh, so 18 months isn't a long time, particularly when they don't even have a deal in place for land. However, I do think that theoretically, they might be able to get up and running quicker than with any of the other plants that they've built since there's no assembly line required for the Cybertruck, nor is there a paint shop needed. So the, the uh, manufacturing complexity is much lower on the Cybertruck, as we've heard from Elon and from Franz, than it is with any of the other vehicles. So we'll see. The clock's still ticking pretty quickly, though, in order for them to uh, get a facility up and running where they'll be able to start building the Cybertruck on time. I still think if they can't get that done, uh, if, you know, any, whatever, any kind of bureaucracy, red tape, any sort of holdup on the deal, I would imagine that the backup plan is to just pick out a, a corner of the Gigafactory in Reno, in, in Sparks, Nevada, Gigafactory 1, and at least start production there so they can get the Cybertruck on the road. Next this week, I've got some audio clips for you. I'll have a whole lot more next week, of course, with the Q1 earnings call coming up. But Tesla's autopilot team lead, Andre Karpathy, gave a self-driving talk. This was from two months ago. It was from the end of February, but it was just posted to YouTube. This came from the Matroid Scaled Machine Learning Conference 2020. And I want to thank the Tesla Motors Reddit for the heads up on this. They posted it right up, and that's how I saw it. And it was a really interesting 30-minute talk that I would encourage you to listen to the entirety of. It's not, I mean, it's technical, but not, I don't think it was so overly technical that you can't follow it. I, I think it's, it's definitely worth listening to. But I wanted to pick out a few quotes here just to whet your appetite, just to give you a general sense of it, give you the highlights in case you don't want to go and listen to the entire 30-minute thing. So here, first up, is Andre explaining the team's overall full self-driving goal. Now, the goal of the team, however, is to produce full self-driving functionality. So here we have a video from the Autonomy Day that we had light um, somewhere earlier last year. So um, the, the ambition of the team is to produce full self-driving, meaning that you can just set a pin arbitrarily, arbitrarily in the world, not even on the highway system, but everywhere else. Here you see the car just taking turns from the parking lot. It comes to an intersection. It waits for a uh, green traffic light. It turns to the left, merges on the highway and no need to touch the wheel. Uh, these, this is not available to the customers. We only have developer builds that do these turns through intersections and so on, but uh, we're trying to get it to the point where we feel uh, that the system is accurate enough to actually release in some form. So as I said, just a good general overview of what the autopilot team's overarching goal is. He noted, by the way, too, that the team is only about 30 people. 
That's the autopilot team. That to me seems crazy small for such a giant project like this. To give you a little bit of context from my day job world, major video games nowadays take many hundreds and hundreds of people to make. And this is, we're talking here about self-driving cars. Not, no disrespect to video games. We're talking about something that's never been achieved, self-driving cars, and the team is 30 people. So that is wild to me. But elsewhere in the talk, he discusses how that's sort of the point that it's a small team. They're trying to build the tools so that they can automate a lot of the fleet learning process on that. In fact, here's more on exactly that topic. So how is it even possible to make progress and how, how is it even possible that your small team can maintain uh, so many tasks and get them to work over time? Um, so the North Star for actually achieving this for us is called Operation Vacation, uh, which I'll describe in a second. Uh, but basically the idea is that for any new task, uh, you have a latency to actually the task working. And there's a process and we understand how to, uh, the process for getting a task to work. And we're trying to develop as much automation machinery to actually support the development of these new features and new tasks. And we're removing engineers from that, uh, from that loop so they're not involved. We're just building out infrastructure and then we have a data labeling team and a, you know, PMs and so on that can actually um, use that infrastructure to create new, new um, detectors. So as an example, we're working with caution lights recently. We're trying to detect when the police car uh, lights are turned on. This is an example of a new task that we'd like to know about. And we sort of have a cookie cutter, we know exactly what to, uh, kind of approach to, we know exactly what it takes to get a task to work. All the infrastructure is in place. So this task, we're going to treat it as a landmark task. Landmark is a, an example of a prototype. So we have a detection prototype, a segmentation prototype, a landmark prototype. And these are just classes of tasks. And if your new task is a um, member of any of these, um, or an instance of any of these prototype classes, then all of the infrastructure is just plug and play and goes through the full data engine. You can collect the seed data set, you label your examples, you source more examples in the cases where you're failing, you deploy it to shadow, uh, in shadow mode, you source examples and you grind up metrics, you create all the unit test predicates. All this is completely automated and this, uh, we're mostly developing the automation infrastructure, and then it's easy to develop any new task, and that's kind of how we get this to work. My favorite bit there was the current real-world example that he gave, and it's something that's come up on this podcast before. A while back, I remember uh, callers have brought it up, I've brought it up, and that is autopilot reacting to emergency vehicle lights. Andre mentions that they've been looking at that very thing lately, uh, or at least a couple months ago when he gave this talk. So that is really cool, super cool there. Now this next clip brought a, a bit of levity to uh, what is otherwise a reasonably technical talk, and I just wanted to share that with you real quick. Enjoy this. We've also late last year released a smart summon. This allows you to, with your phone on the mobile app, uh, summon the car to you from a parking spot. So if your car is parked somewhere, uh, you just summon it to you, and the car comes out of its parking spot with no one inside and comes wind its way through the parking lot to come find you. It's, it's quite magical when it works. Um. <laughs> well, you gotta love a little lighthearted, self-deprecating humor. Even Andre knows that the smart summon's not quite there yet. In fact, though, a little later in the talk, he would go on to explain in great detail how they're working to improve smart summon functionality. But seriously, what about Tesla's efforts versus what other companies like Waymo are doing? That was the more serious topic that uh, Carpathy pivoted to. So take a listen to this. 
you may be asking, like you saw the car take a left through an intersection when the light was green. And you've actually seen a lot of these videos for like a decade. So, you know, here's a Waymo. I just took a small clip. Uh, a Waymo comes to an intersection and uh, takes a left through the intersection. You've seen this for a decade. So how is this special? Why are we so late? What's taking so long? And, uh, you know, it looks the same. So uh, what's the... Uh, but. Uh, I think the critical point to make is that it looks the same, but under the hood, it's completely different in terms of the approach that we take towards full cell driving. So in particular, we take a heavily vision-based approach. So everyone else has a LiDAR on the top of the car. The LiDAR shoots out lasers and uh, creates a LiDAR uh, point cloud map. And then you pre-map the environment that you're going to drive. So you have a high-definition LiDAR map, and you localize to it to a centimeter-level accuracy. And then you know exactly the path you're going to take, so you can just steer to keep yourself you know, perfectly localized in the correct uh, region. Um, so this is quite helpful, but this is not the approach that we take. We do not have LiDAR on our cars, so we don't shoot out lasers. It's all camera-based. And we do not build high-definition maps. So when we come to an intersection, we encounter it basically for the first time. We come to an intersection. How many lanes are there? Left, right, center? Uh, which way should I turn? What are the traffic lights? Which lanes do they control? All of this is just done just from camera feed, uh, camera vision uh, alone. Um, and so this is a bit of a harder problem, but of course, once we actually get this to work, we can also deploy it to the millions of cars that we have uh, globally. As you may know, Elon has made his disdain for LiDAR very public over the years, repeatedly, in fact. But I wanted to play this clip because you get Andre's technical explanation of why the Tesla Autopilot team prefers vision over LiDAR. And here now, this next clip, is an example of the challenge that the Tesla team has before them. Even taking a very simple task, like for example, stop sign, you think that you know, neural networks are capable of handling thousands of categories of ImageNet with all of their variations and so on. So how difficult is it to just detect a fixed pattern of like red on white stop? Uh, and it actually gets quite difficult when you get to the long tail of it, even to create a simple detector for a stop sign. So first of all, stop signs can, of course, be in lots of very environmental conditions. Stop signs can not just be on poles, but kind of just like on walls. Stop signs can be temporary and just hang out uh, in different uh, configurations. Stop signs can have funny lights on them, uh, which uh, are supposed to make it easier to see the stop sign, but for our system, it's the opposite. <laughs> we have to actually explicitly worry about it. Stop signs can be held by a person. That stop sign can be in, in, in an inactive state or an active state. Stop signs can be on like uh, these cones. Stop signs can be heavily occluded in lots of ways by foliage, by signs. Stop signs can be occluded by cars. Stop signs can be part of cars and they can be part of cars in an active or inactive state, again. Uh, stops can be sort of held by a person. Stops come with lots of exotic modifiers to them. So this stop only applies except right turn. Uh, this stop says take your turn through this place. <laughs> this stop is right turn, keep moving. So do not stop if you're going right. Uh, so there's a variety of modifiers, all of them we have to care about because they actually have impact on, on how you should drive through this point of space. And as I mentioned, everything is AI vision-based at the moment. Uh, we do have maps, of course, that we build, but they're not high-definition maps. But Stops can be attached to gates, but they only apply when the gate is closed. When it's open, they do not apply. Stops can be on arms. These arms can lift, and then the stop sign does not apply anymore. Stops can only apply when you're taking a left, so they're action conditional. And so basically there's a massive variety of even just for a stop sign to get this to work. And what we do day to day in the team is we are going through the long tail and we're building all this infrastructure for sourcing all of these additional examples. There were stop sign variations that he listed off there. 
that I have never seen or even heard of in my almost 25 years of driving. I know it can be really region specific and that just gives you an idea of the magnitude of the problem that the Tesla autopilot team is up against. And that's just one sign type, one of dozens and dozens of sign types in, in the US, let alone around the world. So anyway, that's uh, all the clips that I pulled from that. Just wanted to give you the highlights, again, give you a little sample. Uh, it's, I think it's worth watching the whole thing. If you'd like to see it or listen to it, uh, you can go to YouTube and search Matroid Carpathy. I think that'll find it. And Matroid is M-A-T-R-O-I-D. And Carpathy is spelled K-A-R-P-A-F-P-A-T-H-Y. My goodness, it's time for me to go to bed. Uh, anyway, you should find it that way. So thank you very much for uh, listening to that. Now, I'm not done. There's more Tesla news to talk about. Here's an interesting one. It's cool, but there's a little bit of a of a little a little mystery here. Let's say, police in Thailand have added Model Threes to their squad, uh, their police car fleet, their squad cars. That's great. So this comes via Drive Tesla Canada. And they write, according to documents posted to the Thai police website, they spent nearly 2.7 million U.S. dollars or 89 million baht in local currency to lease the vehicles for five years. They also came fully equipped with all the necessary police gear, including the police light bars on top of the car. Now, Drive Tesla Canada even has some pictures of them in action, and they look great. What that look like super cool police cars. What jumped out at me right away is that they went with performance models, which is super cool. Yes, criminals in Thailand can now get hunted down by one of the quickest cars on the road. Now, if you're thinking that's that's cool, but wait a second, the math doesn't add up there. Seven performance model threes, even fully loaded don't come anywhere close to $2.7 million, well, you're not wrong. Uh, Drive Tesla Canada pointed that out as well. A maxed out performance Model 3 these days will set you back about $64,000 even if you choose full self-driving, which the police probably don't need for their purposes. I would imagine they're in manual control for uh, most of their day. And, of course, if they need to pursue someone, they're definitely in manual control. So the, the cars do all have vinyl wraps, matching vinyl wraps as uh, police vehicles. So that means that they could have just chosen the default white paint and saved a little money on the seven cars that way. And get this. As I said, they are performance cars, but they elected to take the performance upgrade package so that they get the larger calipers, the aluminum pedals, and the 20-inch wheels. Now, considering how many miles most police cruisers do in a year, uh, I speak from experience here as a performance Model 3 owner who has the 20-inch wheels. They're going to have to budget for a lot of tires with these cars because the 20-inch tires, those sticky summer tires, do not last nearly as long as the 18-inch tires, uh, which are, you know, the eco, uh, green tires for, uh, for the, the 18 inch arrow wheel on the model three. 
which is what you get if you you could get the performance version with the 18-inch wheels and tires. But I'll tell you, even with the wraps, even with the extra cost for all of the police hardware that they had to modify the cars with, that still seems really, really pricey. But nevertheless, it is great to see more police forces around the world using Teslas. But I'd like to have a word with whomever in the Taiwanese government set up that leasing deal because I think they may have been had by quite a lot of money. But no, seriously, it is cool to see more and more Teslas being put to use by the police. Let's see here. I've got just a, two more quick things this week. First up, I mentioned Sandy Monroe once again. I mentioned him earlier in the show, and he is still hard at work tearing down the Model Y. I've just got one clip I wanted to share with you this week, and it is about the panoramic glass roof that, of course, the Model Y has, and certainly the, the 3 has it as well, and so does the Model S. If you've ever wondered about the strength and crashworthiness of that seemingly thin layer of panoramic glass over your head in your Tesla, well, here's Sandy to explain just how useful and good it is. Now, panoramic glass is, again, not new, but this is very nicely done. We're looking at uh, the roof glass here, and this is two pieces of tempered glass. Tempered glass is a little bit different than normal glass in that there's no shards. When this thing smashes, it's going to turn into basically like a rock salt, but it's gonna be held together because right here you can see there's one piece of glass here, then you can see this little teeny tiny slip of, um, of plastic, laminate plastic, and then you see the second layer of glass. So what you're looking at is something that's ultra strong, gives good uh, NVH, and, uh, and gives protection for the occupants because if this does roll over, it'll smash, but because it's all glued together, you'll see it all crazed, but it won't, it won't uh, allow the occupants to fly out of the vehicle. So there you go, the panoramic glass roof doesn't just look really cool and futuristic and make the cabin feel more open, it's actually super safe and it helps reduce cabin noise as well. So another friendly reminder to check out Monroe Live, M-U-N-R-O, Monroe Live on YouTube if you want to actually watch any of these, which I would highly encourage. This one was episode 25, so uh, Sandy has been very busy in his shop despite the quarantine. Uh, finally this week, not exactly Tesla-related, but it's in the Elon-verse, and I think enough of you would find this interesting that I wanted to mention it. A Starlink internet beta is coming soon, even if Elon's already confirmed that, it, that Starlink won't be coming to the Tesla fleet anytime soon. And Starlink, if you don't recall, in the words of SpaceX, quote, Starlink will deliver high-speed broadband internet to locations where access has been unreliable, expensive, or completely unavailable. Elon taking to Twitter to say there are now 420 operational Starlink satellites with a wink, and you probably can guess why. And then he added, uh, on a much more serious note, Private beta begins in about three months, public beta in about six months, starting with high latitudes. 
So if that is of interest to you, I wanted to put that on your radar so you can keep an eye out for it in the coming months. Oh, and uh, just actually during the during the recording here, Elon uh, giving me a quick reply on Twitter. I mentioned, hey, uh, Elon, we haven't heard you. I said, you've been exceptionally quiet about the semi and the roadster for a while. Any updates on those? And he was kind enough to reply back saying, sure, we can probably do an update later this year. So here's hoping that we can uh, find out more about those two key components of the Tesla fleet, because those are the really, you know, we've heard a lot about the Cybertruck, but next to nothing about, in fact, not even next to, we've heard nothing, zero, about the Tesla Semi or the new Tesla Roadster in a very, very long time at this point. So it'll be good to uh, to get an update on that at some point before 2020 draws to a close. Well, that's everything I've got for you in the world of Tesla news for this week, but stick with me. Your phone calls are coming up next in the Ride the Lightning hotline. But first, a word from Master Chief. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117. You're listening to Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast. You know, that Cybertruck looks a lot like a warthog, doesn't it? Master Chief, out. Thank you, Steve. Hey, real quick, before I get to the Ride the Lightning hotline, I want to mention abstractocean.com. They are having a clearance sale. So check them out, abstractocean.com. They've got all kinds of great stuff. I would say their highlight product is the are their lighting kits. Lots of cool, brighter, nicer lighting kits or different color lighting kits if you want to really customize your Tesla on the inside. So check them out, abstractocean.com. Use the coupon code RTLPODCAST at checkout to get 15% off of your very first order. All right, time for the Ride the Lightning Hotline. Your calls, and I invite you anytime, call in. If you've got a Tesla-related question, comment, or discussion topic, I would be delighted to hear from you. The phone lines are always open. You can send in your call in one of two easy ways. Either way, please try to keep your call to 90 seconds or less. And uh, the first way you can send it in is by using your smartphone's voice recording software. Record the call and then email it to me at teslapodcast at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can call and leave a message anytime, day or night, on the Ride the Lightning hotline itself. That's a toll-free number that you can call or Skype, and the number is 1-888-989-8752. Again, that's 1-888-989-TSLA. And if you know someone special with an upcoming birthday, anniversary, graduation, or some other special occasion, you can give them a unique gift of recorded voices from friends and family telling them why they're special. The recordings can be podcasted or put onto a keepsake Visit lifeonrecord.com to learn more. First up this week is Ken, with his, uh, along with his dad, Jackson, from Grand Junction, Colorado. Go ahead, guys. Hi, I'm Ken from Grand Junction, Colorado. I'm 11, and we're getting, uh, we have a Toyota Prius from 2011, and we're getting, for our next car, a Tesla, either a Model Y or a Model 3. And we were hoping uh, you could recommend uh, which model we get. Mostly we just drive around town, but sometimes we also um, go to national parks and camping. Thank you for doing your podcast. 
Me and my dad started listening just a few months ago, and we extremely enjoy it. Thank you. Ken, thank you so much for calling in, and I am happy to help with this. You know, I suspect this is going to be the same very wonderful decision that a lot of families are going to be trying to make when it comes time to purchase their next car. Before the Y came out and we had the reveal specs and, and not the actual real production car, it seemed obvious. The Y was going to cost you a bit more, you'd get a bit less range, but you'd get more cargo volume. Uh, and potentially more seating if you opted for the seven-seat version that's not out yet. But now that the Y is out, and it turned out to be better than Tesla initially advertised, I'll tell you, it's a bit of a tougher decision, I think. The range is roughly equal on both cars now. So I'll say this. If I were buying for me today, just so if, if I were in my same decision again as I was two years ago, I would still go with the three for me. Uh, I wanted the performance and the performance is a bit quicker on the three for a bit less money. Plus the, uh, you know, the handling your lower down the, the Y I haven't driven the Y yet, but from what the uh, early model Y owners are saying that have the performance version, it handles more SUV ish because it's an SUV. And I do like the model Y styling just fine. But again, for me, I find the Model 3 to be a bit sportier looking of a car, but I've got a small family. It's three of us, and it's Daisy the Boxer, so we might be a bit of an outlier. I would expect that most families of four or more are probably going to opt for the Model Y. I mean, the 3 still has a good bit of cargo volume, just to be clear, but the Y has a good bit more than the Model 3 does. It's about a $4,000 difference between the two cars when you're comparing the long-range configurations. Obviously, the Model 3 has a, uh, for, currently is the only one that has the standard range option. Uh, the Model Y is due to get that next year. So it's, if you're looking for more of an entry level, then the Model 3 is certainly uh, has the more affordable option. But honestly, as far as a recommendation, I have to say, I would probably lean towards recommending the Y unless you guys decide you want to go all out on performance. But the good news, which I say every time somebody asks me which Tesla they should, they should get, is you're almost certainly going to be happy either way. So, uh, Ken, keep the pressure on your dad, and hopefully he will cave sooner or later. Thanks so much for calling in. Al from South Florida is up next, following up on his call about tilting the screen, but he's got another concern here. I'll see if I can help him out. Al, go ahead. Hi, Ryan. Al from South Florida again. Thank you for answering my question about the uh, tilted screen in the Model 3, but more importantly, the um, the concept that it could you know, invalidate warranty. That's uh, very good to understand that that's a possibility. I have two questions. Uh, first of all, Every video I've seen, and you brought it up on your show as well, that that glossy finish in the Model 3 and the Model Y uh, between the two front seats, everyone seems to be putting on uh, some type of covering. Uh, just like Tesla changed the Model 3 Chrome to the Model Y Chrome Delete as standard, do you think they would ever consider just swapping out, since it seems like everyone's changing it, 
Uh, second of all, um, you know, I know you're, in, I believe you're in California, and of course a lot of your referrals for paint protection and the like is there. Is there any way of getting some type of a, a referral source for South Florida or different parts of the country uh, of people who have had good success you know, rather than calling a shop and really not knowing if they do a quality job with Teslas? Anyway, just a thought. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Have a happy Easter and stay safe. Al, it's great to hear from you again. I am very glad that you found my reply helpful on, I guess not last week, but the week before, right? Anyway, I will try and be of assistance again here. So with the glossy center console, I'm going to be honest with you. I thought for sure that Tesla would have changed it a long time ago now. Right from the jump on the Model 3, there were owners complaining about it. I really, really thought the Tesla would have changed it to a different uh, pattern, different material or texture by now. The fact that they haven't and that they've continued it on the Model Y, which, as we know, has a revision of that center console, thanks to the built-in wireless uh, smartphone charging pad and the second row facing USB-C ports, so the fact that they've made changes to that center console but kept that piano black glossy finish tells me that a change to that finish is probably not likely anytime soon. The good news is that if you don't want to try one of the do-it-yourself kits from somebody like abstractocean.com, a professional detailer can do a beautiful job on your center console. That's what I did. Immaculate Reflections did mine, and I love it. To find a good detailer in your area, I will give you two recommendations, and you don't have to do one or the other here. You can do both, whichever if, uh, you've got time for. You can search on Yelp, and you can read Yelp reviews of detailers in your area, but and or you could go on the Tesla Motors Club forums and scroll down to the regional forums. From there, you can do a search or make a new topic thread uh, yourself, and then you'll get recommendations from fellow South Florida Tesla owners. It sounds like you're inching closer and closer to ordering that Model Y, uh, so Al, let me know if I can be of any further help. Uh, also, Al had called in one more time asking if the Y has a larger side view mirror than the Model 3, and I'll just throw that in right here because the answer is yes. The Model Y does have a larger side view mirror than the Model 3 does. Thanks so much, Al. David from the UK is up next commenting on the uh, price lock situation with the tow hitch and the, the full self-driving for early Model Y order holders. Go ahead, David. Hey, Ryan. David from Nottingham UK here. I've just been listening to episode 245 and wanted to comment on the full self-driving cost increase when ordering the tow bar for Model Y. I'm in the UK and we had similar issues when Tesla released the Model 3. I added a tow bar when it became available, but fortunately this full self-driving price hadn't changed. However, in the five months I waited for my car, they reduced the base price of the Model 3. However, to take advantage of this, they essentially looked at it, is, uh, looked at it as if it was a cancel and reorder, which meant you had to pay the new, higher, full self-driving price. Fortunately for me, the price of the Model 3 came down enough that I saved money even paying more for full self-driving. I would strongly suspect that this sets precedent and Tesla won't let Model Y orders retain the old full self-driving price, even if they amend the order to add a tow bar. Love the show as always, and say hi to Daisy. Thank you for sharing that perspective, David. Well, I think we can pretty safely say that the Model Y prices will not be going down anytime soon to compensate 
as you lucked out with on the Model 3. Now, with all due respect, I hope you're wrong about your suspicion here, of course. I hope Tesla does make this right for those early order holders. I will update here on the podcast as soon as I hear anything definitive one way or the other. Now, as a little bright spot, here's another caller on a similar, the same subject, really. Jerry from Washington. Go ahead, Jerry. Hey, Ryan. This is Jared from Lake Stevens, Washington. Uh, just calling in regards to the issue you brought up last week, or it might have been two weeks ago, about uh, pre-ordering a Model Y, getting locked in at the lower pricing, and then wanting to add something like the tow hitch that just came out. Um, I'm in that situation. Um, so I spoke with someone on chat, Tesla chat, who got me in touch with someone at my local service center who called me. Um, he did confirm today, yes, unfortunately, we would get dinged with current pricing, but he said he can confirm that it's going to show up later in the accessory shop. And so his advice was that I wait, accept delivery of the car now, and don't pay that extra $1,000 on, on the base price of the car. Um, so just wanted to pass that along to your listeners. Um, keep up all the good work and really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Well, that is super encouraging, Jerry. Thank you very much for calling in with that. Maybe that's going to be the easier way for Tesla to handle it, since not everyone is going to necessarily want the tow hitch. Again, I'm going to keep my ear to the ground on this to try and hopefully learn something definitive rather soon. Next is Jason from Arlington uh, wants to talk about editing your design in the uh, in once you've locked in on the configurator there. Jason, go ahead. Hi, Ryan. Jason from Arlington, Virginia here. Regular listener since the Elon interview, though I should have started sooner given the Metallica-related podcast name. Anyway, first about the Model Y hitch option. I'm in a weird state of not being able to edit my design, but also not having a VIN. I called Tesla and eventually got an answer that the hitch can be added after the fact at a service center visit. Great news for me and anyone who already took delivery. But take that with a grain of salt, because as of Wednesday, April 13th, there's no official word on this. Secondly, about the Sandy Monroe Model Y teardown videos. Did you guys sense that Elon told the Model 3 engineering team to watch all of Sandy's videos criticizing the Model 3 design? There's a lot of things Sandy points to as huge improvements from the Model 3, as if the Tesla engineers took a lot of that earlier criticism to heart. Lastly, I wanted to point to an appearance of Sandy on the Autoline After Hours YouTube show. If you search in YouTube for Autoline After Hours 492, the video shows up. They deconstruct the tooling cost of the Cybertruck, how much cheaper it is not having to paint it. Sandy also seems to gush about other aspects of the Cybertruck designs, so I highly recommend you and your listeners check it out if you're wondering what Sandy thinks about stainless steel as a material for a truck. Thanks for the podcast, Ryan. Talk to you later. Uh, last call on this topic this week, I promise, but this uh, did want to play this one. So it is unfortunate that I do have to take what you were told about the Model Y tow hitch retrofit with a grain of salt for now, Jason. I just, I wish Tesla would be more clear and transparent about this to everyone, communicating it far and wide. I realize there's a shutdown right now, but, you know, for those on the sales and delivery team that are able to work, it would be great to see everybody who's already taken delivery of their Y or has a pending delivery like yourself get an email explaining the official 
retrofit specifics. They could easily flag all those people in their system, I would imagine. But hopefully what you were told is accurate. Uh, and as to whether or not Elon and the Model Y team watched Sandy Monroe's Model 3 teardown, uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Elon has commented on it before. But it also would su wouldn't surprise me if they came to a lot of those same learnings on their own. My best guess, it was probably both of those things. And by the way, thank you for the tip about Sandy's Cybertruck reactions. I did go and listen to most of that podcast. And I'll tell you, Sandy Monroe is really on board with what Tesla is doing from a manufacturing perspective with the Cybertruck. Frank from Cape Cod, speaking of the Cybertruck, is up next to talk about that very topic. Go ahead, Frank. Hello, Ryan. This is first-time caller Frank calling from Cape Cod, Massachusetts. I'm not a Tesla owner yet, but I'm patiently waiting for the arrival of my Cybertruck. That being said, I have a few questions on the Cybertruck for you. Number one, any updates on the factory location? Uh, the latest info I know was the bid on Joplin, Missouri. Number two, each country is unique with its laws, so what do you think we can expect for the U.S. Gigafactory timeline from the groundbreaking to the actual vehicle production? Number three, has anyone seen designs or drawings as to what the solar wings would look like? I am definitely interested in purchasing that when and if that comes out. And number four, I'm hoping the Cybertruck uh, will not only have the ability to be charged at home as all Teslas do now, but hopefully to be used as a generator as well. That would be a huge plus. And uh, again, thank you so much for your terrific podcast. I really enjoy the show. And I also would like to thank all the other uh, listeners for their excellent questions. Have a great day. Hello, Frank, and welcome to the podcast. I am happy to help you to the best of my ability here, as I always try to do. So let me work backwards on this. First, Elon has already stated that the Cybertruck will be able to be used as a generator at a work site. So good news there. Second, with the solar panel, if I'm interpreting it correctly, the solar panel is going to be on the vault cover. But if, it, if there is going to be a canopy option... You can get an idea of what that might look like in the last image in the slideshow gallery at the bottom third of the page on tesla.com slash Cybertruck, the official Cybertruck site, where it shows the truck in camping mode. That, that could give you an idea of what, that, what a solar canopy there could look like uh, with regard to camping mode. Now, with regard to where the Cybertruck will be built, we heard a little update on that this week. There's virtually no way that uh, the new Cybertruck-specific Gigafactory that Elon's aiming to have somewhere in middle America, whether it ends up being Texas or not, is, as I said, it's, it's how is it going to be ready by this point uh, at the start of Cybertruck production if it's on time, if it stays on schedule? So again, like I said earlier in the show, I got to figure that the, it, the initial run could happen at Gigafactory 1 in Nevada, Nevada, excuse me, as as the Fremont factory by Elon's own admission this week, and he said it a, a number of times before, it's packed to the gills, even though we do know that the Cybertruck is supposed to take a lot less physical space to build since it won't need that paint shop, the assembly line, who knows. But as to exactly where in the central U.S. that fifth gigafactory could go, as we've seen, states are going, they're already starting to vie for it. 
just in the same way that several states battled over Gigafactory 1 before Nevada landed it. There is, there is no doubt to, in my mind, I mean, I, I guess, again, in my mind, I can't say it for fact, but to me, there's no doubt that the quarantine has paused or at least slowed down this process. So it's just impossible to predict the timeline here. Again, I don't, I can't see how it'd be realistic to expect that factory to start to start churning out trucks within 12 months of the groundbreaking ceremony, which is what happened in Shanghai. Uh, but again, it could be up and running a little sooner because of that n- lack of a need for a paint shop and for an assembly line. It's going to be really interesting to track this, however it ends up going. All right, the last caller for this week is Gerardo from Reno, speaking of the Gigafactory, talking about steering wheels. Go ahead, Gerardo. Hey, Ryan, this is Gerardo from Reno, Nevada. Uh, I was just calling in to see if we can have a, we'll give you a little discussion topic. Uh, I'm very curious as to why Tesla chose to have that yoke design on the, well, it seems more fathomable on the Roadster, but they also did it on the truck, on the Cybertruck. And not only that, when the Model 3 was first unveiled, the, the steering wheel was really weird. Uh, anybody in the audience, like, or anybody really have an idea why Tesla might go with that design? All right, thank you. Thanks for calling in, Gerardo. You have a keen eye, my friend. You are correct in that Franz and the design team like to get creative with the steering wheels on their prototypes. The Roadster's yoke is the coolest, in my opinion. If you look at up-close pictures of it, which actually right now, I will confess to you, my, my Windows desktop background is actually the steering yoke from the Roadster because it's in the press kit. If you look up the press kit online, there's some really cool, super high res images and renders of the Roadster. And I just love that steering yoke. If you look up at at the up close pictures of it, it appears to be made entirely out of carbon fiber. Like it is, it is (laughs) all just carbon fiber. And as you noted, it makes sense on that car because your hands probably should be at nine and three in that thing as they would be in an actual race car. So we'll see how that shakes out. Now, the Cybertruck is, I think, I would bet on it getting, uh, having its sort of half yoke, half wheel changed out to a more traditional wheel before production begins, just as, as you again pointed out, the Model 3 did. That That Model 3 prototype steering wheel was a wheel, but it was just odd because it, it only had two spokes. It did look very strange. I agree. I was not a fan of that wheel. I'm glad they changed it. Whereas on the Roadster, I am a fan of the prototype steering yoke, and I'm hoping they keep it. Um, you know, most every car has at least three spokes on its wheel, so that, that two-spoke one on the prototype looked kind of strange. Anyway, Uh, That is that for the Ride the Lightning Hotline this week. Thanks to everybody who called in. We'll get some more calls rolling here shortly. I invite you again, anytime, call in with your Tesla questions, comments, discussion topics. I gave you that call-in info at the uh, top of the segment, so I hope to hear from you soon. Be right back with the pro tip of the week and some final thoughts for you right after this. 
Well, as for me, I was just happy to get to take the car out this week. I Just today, actually, I had to zip down to my allergist. I get uh, immunotherapy, allergy shots, which I have to get like every three to four weeks now. So uh, still got to do it, even even with the current shelter in place situation. So it was today was it just felt good. Actually, it was a really nice day in San Francisco today as well, which helped. So just at at on ramps and the occasional light, like where it was safe safe to do so, man, it just felt so good. Just even when you just lay into the pedal, even up to thirty miles an hour, just that initial burst. From the Performance Model 3, it's it just puts a smile on my face every single time. And be, because of the world situation, I haven't had a chance to drive the car as much. So felt good to get the car out a little. And uh, I, I've got another thing I'm super looking forward to. My zero-G wheels from the referral program are on order. Tesla confirmed that they're, they're on order for me, so I, uh, I don't have an ETA on them yet. I am hoping, fingers crossed that I'll get them sometime uh, in the coming week here as you listen to this, and that by next week's episode, I'll be able to talk about them. You'll, If you want to follow me on Instagram, there will be pictures there as soon as I get them installed. I'm DMC underscore Ryan on Instagram. It's the same, same handle on Instagram and on Twitter. Real quick, I'll keep my my quarantine video game recommendations segment going, thanks to Stefan from Monterey. And I want to recommend Ori and the Will of the Wisps this week, which is available for Xbox One and PC as well. This is a Metroidvania-type game, so uh, kind of a platformer, but very exploratory. You, You kind of gain more abilities as you go, which will allow you to access new areas that you could see but couldn't get to before. It's a sort of two and a half D side scrolling game. It is stunningly beautiful. The, uh, the the art design is just immaculate. The sound work is incredible too. And it just it is it's challenging. I will say it is a challenging game, but boy, is it fun to play and just a it's really a work of art. That is a that is a spectacular video game right there, made by Moon Studios, who coincidentally enough, they are a decentralized development team. They're scattered around the world. They don't have a a central uh, development office that they all work at together. So they've been they've been doing this work from home thing for uh for gosh, ten ten years now since they've this is their second Ori game and it's been a while. So anyway, definitely can't uh can't recommend that one enough. And it's it's absolutely playable. You can you can play that with your with your kids around. There's nothing objectionable or or scary about it, I don't think, anyway. Pro tip of the week time. Mike from Los Altos, replying to the caller uh, from last week, I wanted to follow this up, about ripping out the subwoofer and uh, having the car not super like that. Well, Mike sounds like he's got some expertise and perhaps even some experience here, so here's a pro tip to follow up on that for those of you who may be interested in doing your own aftermarket sound options. Mike, go ahead. Hey, Ryan, this is Mike from Los Altos. I just wanted to reply uh, to the caller before that was talking about having to uh, rip out the aftermarket stereo subwoofer kind of stuff that he had added to his car. Well, there's a good reason for this. The typical way that 
people have installed this kind of equipment in a traditional automobile is to run a new uh, high current circuit directly from the 12 volt battery. The problem is the Model 3 is monitoring the current going to the 12 volt battery. And so when you add an extra power draw uh, directly from the battery, it's actually detecting that as a fault. So the right way to add a high current device to a Model 3 is to actually tap directly off the power conversion system under the rear seat. There's some really obvious uh, large positive and negative terminals under there that you can connect to. And of course, you'll want to fuse that as well. I hope this helps the original caller and maybe some other listeners as well. I love it when I learn something. Thank you very much, Mike. I did not know that at all. So hopefully that is of use to anybody, any audio files out there that might find the Tesla system inadequate. I think we would generally agree. No one's ever, generally speaking, complained about the quality of the audio in a Tesla. But yeah, if you're looking to do a little aftermarket uh, upgrading, Mike's got a little good tip for you there. So if you've got a pro tip of the week about your Tesla, I would love to hear about it. Send it in the same way that you would send in a regular hotline call. I gave you that uh, those instructions earlier in the episode. All right, it is about time for me to roll. I want to mention first the uh, wonderful folks at, well, it's folk. It's, it's one gentleman, Jeff, Immaculate Reflections. He will take excellent care of you and your car should you decide that you'd like to get some detailing work done. Maybe it's ceramic coating so that you don't have to wax your car for three to five years. Maybe it's paint protection film. Maybe it's paint correction. Any of it, all of it, he'll take great care of you. I can personally assure you of that based on my extensive experience with Jeff. In fact, I will be seeing Jeff very soon myself uh, in a totally touchless. He's got it all set up, safe, touchless, social distance, physical distance. Uh, because I'm going to have my, I think I mentioned this last week, but I'm going to have my new zero G wheels. Once I get them, I want to get those ceramic coated because it makes it way easier to clean them. So to learn more about Immaculate Reflections, see examples of his work, get in touch with him, book him. His website is irdetailing.com. Meanwhile, puretesla.com slash RTL. Head on over there. And it's uh, very simple. You can order the 128 gigabyte kit for your dash cam slash sentry mode. That's $49. Or you can step up to a $69 package. That is the 256 gig. I'm running the 128. Uh, I find that totally adequate. But either way, you're going to be all set. It's a plug and play solution. It's going to be a long-term answer to your dash cam sentry mode, kind of a fire and forget thing because it uses micro SD, which is designed for frequent and just constant reading and writing and reading and writing, which regular USB, we have all learned the hard way, is not. So uh, that will that will really just make it so that you don't have to think about the dash cam sentry mode storage situation really ever again, or at least for a long, long time. So puretesla.com slash RTL, hit that link and it's free shipping anywhere in the U S and then Jada, my friends at Jada, the, uh, model Y USB hub is now available. It's shipping out here very soon. It's got six ports on it, 
four total USB-A ports, two USB-C ports, and all ports are equipped with power and data, meaning that you can use them in any way you choose with a number of devices. So that's a nice accessory. Again, you, you kind of buy it once and then you, you're done forever. You've got it for the life of your Model Y. There is, of course, also a Model 3 version. I have that in my cars. Again, love it. My favorite thing about it is really the, the, the dummy magnetized like dummy door that's, that's in the back of it that uh, hides my pure Tesla uh, dash cam uh, USB stick there so that if anything ever happened to the car and if that <laughs> ne'er-do-well was uh, was wise enough to to look for, to try and take the, the the video evidence out in the form of that USB stick, you're probably not going to find it because it's really hiding back there. So anyway, the sale continues at Jada. Ten dollars off the USB hub with the coupon code Jada Hub, all one word, and Jada spelled J E D A. Twenty dollars off of the wireless charging pad for Model Three with the code Jada Pad. $40 off of both, should you want to grab both. That's an excellent deal. The code there, Jada Bundle. And uh, I just ask that you go to the website using my referral link because that will send me a little, uh, a little thank you, a little, uh, little slice of the action for full transparency there. And that referral link is getjada.com slash R-E-F slash eight. So do check that out if uh, you're a Model 3 owner or a soon-to-be Model Y owner, or maybe you've, you're one of the lucky few who has taken delivery of a Model Y already. Finally, uh, you can check out my Patreon. I'd be extremely grateful if you just chose to do so. There are different le levels of support there. I would, uh, my hope is that at some point, whether it's now, maybe it's down the road, uh, you will decide, hey, you know what? This Ryan guy, I really like his podcast. He clearly puts a lot of time, energy, thought into this thing. I'd like to support him because uh, it's, you know, maybe you feel like that'll be something you want to do. So you can find more information, including the different tiers of support and the different little bonuses you get that are attached to those tiers. You can find all that on my Patreon page, which is at patreon.com slash Tesla podcast, Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. If you are not already subscribing to the podcast, that's definitely a free thing. Please do so on your preferred podcast service, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, which is in your Tesla I've also got the YouTube channel, which again is just audio, but if you prefer to listen on YouTube, you can just search Ride the Lightning Tesla on, uh, on YouTube and you'll find my channel there. And yes, those are all the ways that you can have the show easily come to you. New episodes, of course, every Sunday, like clockwork, 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at dmc underscore ryan if you feel so inclined again my email address whether you want to uh, send in a, a hotline call a pro tip or you just want to write to me you can find me at teslapodcast at gmail.com and let me close 
by not only saying hello to the Patreon producers, the wonderful folks supporting at the producer tier that gets them, among other things, a shout out at the end of each week's episode, but also a happy birthday to Matt, who uh, a two Tesla household, Matt's wife, Sierra, called in, asked me to wish Matt a happy birthday. He's got an S, she's got a three, and his birthday, it, it was either going to be a little early or a little late. His birthday is April 30th. So, Matt, hope you have a wonderful, safe, healthy birthday with your family. Maybe take the, the car out for a drive, have a little fun uh, while you, you, know, you can do so safely uh, there. So enjoy that birthday. And thank you so much to the Patreon producers, because seriously, all of you, your support means more than ever at this time right now. So Pete White, thank you. Wolfgang Obergen, George Cassiopo, David Brander, Jonathan Wales, Alexi Heft, Logan Willis, Robert Maracle, Jason Chalukas, Joe Edgel, Tim Hyde, Lawton from Chicago, Peter Chalet, Rome Strack, David Vakil, Ulrich Lassa, Luke A., Eric Randolph, David Nondal, Jerry and Mary Smith, Brian Hope, Bill Royko, Lyle Austin, Joel Sapp, Dorian Steve Guberman, Michael Waddle, Daniel Grummer, Jeremy, Tesla Owners Taiwan, Jeremy Harris, Rob Brewer, Ron Lee, Chris Konesnik, John Cody, Matthew Wright, Charlie Gillespie, Kaz Barnes, Neil Weaver, David Perella, Sunil Joseph, Dennis Peake, Scott Gillis, Will Stedman, Evie Tricity UK, Stig Mickey Jensen, Jeff Angwin, Chase Cabanillas, Richard Folkers, Matt Kalen, Trenton from Myrtle Beach, The Lydia Family, Michael Regal, Mark Eversall, Ish, and Ramey from TeslaProTips.com. Thank you all so very much. Thanks to all of you for listening and giving me an hour plus of your time and attention each and every week so that I can... Uh, catch you up on the world of Tesla in what I hope is an informative and hopefully a fun way as well. You know, I, I've uh, I've mentioned this to people, to, to listeners that I've met in real life before when we talk about the podcast and they ask me questions. But my goal with this podcast, or at least my, my idea, my sort of, uh, my programming goal, let's say, is... I want it to sound like a radio show. I was always fascinated with radio growing up. I always loved radio. And so I want this show to feel like an hour-long radio show each and every week. So uh, whether you care about that or not, whether you like that, I hope. But I hope you like it. So anyway, that's what I'm going for. So for a very snuggling and sleepy Daisy the Boxer puppy. I'm Ryan McCaffrey. This was Ride the Lightning episode 247. Happy electric motoring if and when you are able to get your vehicles out in a safe way. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay home, and I will see you back here, of course, next week for the big earnings show, the big earnings recap, Q1. It's going to be an interesting earnings call one way or the other. I mean, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever.
That's what it's meant to be. Our goal is to make, it's, it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. It's maximum fun. 